Welcome to Bizarre to Brutal, featuring true crimes and scandals that were reported in the hugely popular Victorian newspaper, The Illustrated Police News. What follows are the actual reports from that time. But first, a warning. The writers sometimes didn't hold back from giving the most intimate details of these events. But if you can stand it, you'll get a revealing insight into Victorian life and uncensored human nature. So let's walk back through the mists of time. Ninth of July, 1870. A child stolen by a monkey. A local paper reports a somewhat remarkable case of purloining a child, which occurred in the small village of Manxbridge in Somersetshire on Monday last. It appears that Mr Judcott, a gentleman of independent means, has for a long time past kept a large monkey who has been accustomed to range over his master's garden and grounds, as the creature was esteemed harmless and, to use a sporting phrase, was warranted to be free from vice. On Monday last, Mrs Hemingway, near neighbour of Mr Judcott's, while walking in her garden, was surprised and horrified at beholding Holsch, Mr Judcott's monkey, suddenly snatch her baby from the arms of her youngest sister, Clara, who, as a special favour, had been permitted to take charge of the infant. The monkey, gibbering and chattering, rushed off with its prize and gained the roof of an outhouse with very little difficulty. Mrs Hemingway was driven to the uttermost extremity of despair and she vainly strove to repossess herself of her last-born. She beheld, to her infinite horror, the monkey pass over the roof of the outhouse until he and his burden were both lost to sight. The anxious mother at once hastened to the house of her neighbour, Mr Judcott, who appeared to be as much troubled as herself at the unlooked-for disaster. His manservants were dispatched in every direction in search of Holch, who was, however, too wary to allow his hiding place to be discovered. In the meantime, the parents of the child were kept in a constant state of anxiety and trepidation. It was impossible to say what had befallen the child. The day passed over without any news of either Holch or the infant, and it was by the merest chance that both the fugitives were discovered by some farm labourers in an adjacent wood, towards eight o'clock in the evening. At this time, Holch seemed to be tired of his companion, whom he purposely resigned to the farm servants. The delight of the parents upon regaining their child may be more readily imagined than described. Ninth of July, 1870. Extraordinary scene at a wedding. 
a French paper relates a thrilling scene which lately occurred in a Parisian mairie. A couple presented themselves to be married. The bride, about 18 years of age, and possessed of considerable personal attractions. The bridegroom, an extremely small man, aged 45. When the ceremony was concluded, the door of the hall was burst open and a woman of gigantic statute, accompanied by a thin damsel of 15, burst into the room and elbowed her way through the semicircle of guests. Wretch! Scoundrel! Thief! she cried addressing the husband, who turned as white as a sheet. This is how you leave me in the lurch, who have sighed during fifteen years for the day when I might call myself your wife. Saying this, she seized the unhappy man by the collar and jerked him up under her left arm as though he were a crush hat, taking no notice of his struggles. She addressed the mayor in a voice of thunder. Do I arrive too late? The marriage is concluded, replied the mayor, and I request you to release Monsieur Augustin and to retire. Not, said the giantess, without giving his deserts to the villain who leaves me with this girl here. No, no, that girl is not mine, howled the little man. He had better have remained silent. The giantess frantically raised him in the air and whirled him round her head. Repeat what you have said, she shrieked. This child, who is as like you as one pea is another, is she yours or not? Monsieur Augustin did not open his mouth. His executioner then seized his nose with her left hand and wrung it violently. About this time, Two of the guests, moved by the entreaties of the bride, attempted to interfere, but the enraged woman, using the bridegroom as a weapon and brandishing him at arm's length, charged her opponents with such fury that she put them speedily to flight. "'Call the police!' cried the mayor. "'You need not give yourself the trouble!' hoarsely ejaculated the giantess. "'I will let go of the rascal of my own accord!' Here, my beauty, addressing the bride, is your little bit of a man. I have not broken him. We have no further business here. Follow me, Batistine. And so saying, she flung down her victim at the feet of two agents of police, who at that moment appeared at the door. I go, she added, but let him ever appear before me on his wife's arm, and I will take him between my thumb and forefinger and make but one mouthful of him. This little incident cast quite a gloom over the assembled guests, and no one dared even to pick the fainting bridegroom from the floor until the last echo of the heavy footsteps of the injured fair one had died away in the distance. When they raised him to his feet, and in solemn silence took their departure. Sixth of August, 1870. Scandalous outrage in a churchyard. Robbing the dead. 
a correspondent has forwarded the following account of a disgraceful outrage in a burial ground. Sir, a most extraordinary affair has taken place in this town, the particulars of which I am enabled to forward you as I took an active part in frustrating the designs of the miscreants, one of whom we succeeded in capturing. Mrs Chatfield, a widow lady much respected by all who had the pleasure of her acquaintance, expired on Monday week after a short but severe illness. As her last hour was approaching, she requested to be buried in the necklace, rings and bracelets she wore at the time of her decease. Her relatives promised to see that her last wishes were carried out. The funeral took place on the following Saturday. The deceased lady was interred with the trinkets she prized so highly and on Sunday night last, or rather Monday morning, between 12 and 1 o'clock, a gross act of sacrilege was committed in the churchyard where the last remains of poor Mrs Chatfield were deposited. Some evil-disposed persons, having procured a spade, pickaxe and a ladder, removed the earth from the recently filled grave, took the coffin therefrom, forced open the lid and were about to possess themselves of the valuables which decorated the corpse. Happily, before they succeeded in accomplishing their purpose, the notice of several persons, myself being one of the number, having been attracted to the spot by the faint glimmer of a light in the churchyard, my companions and myself sprang over the low wall and rushed upon the body snatchers, who scampered off in all directions. So sudden and swift was their flight that our party only succeeded in capturing one of the midnight robbers. We handed him over to the police authorities, to whom he would not give either his name or address. The affair has created quite a sensation in the neighbourhood, which has been considerably augmented by a report at present current that one of the party of body snatchers was very many years ago a lover of the deceased lady. The case awaits an investigation, but in the meantime, I deem it advisable to make you acquainted with the leading facts. I am, sir, yours obediently, James Benwell. Tenth of September, eighteen seventy. Extraordinary attempt to murder. William Thomas Forsyth, 20, a young man of mild expression of feature, was charged at Greenwich Police Court with attempting to kill George John Alexander Fairburn by shooting him in the head and shoulder with a double-barrelled gun. The prosecutor, who appeared with his head bandaged and his left arm in a sling, said... I am head gardener to Mr Noakes of Brockley Hall, Lewisham, and the prisoner is employed as undergardener. On Sunday afternoon, between a quarter past two and a quarter to three, 
I went to lie down on the bed in the gardener's house. And while asleep, I was suddenly awoke by hearing the report of the discharge of a gun. And feeling myself struck on the right side of the head, I immediately got up and found the room full of smoke. On going towards the stairs, a second discharge of the gun took place and I was struck on the left shoulder, being knocked down. I got up and went to the room door, which had been left open, and went downstairs. It occurred to me to go back instantly when I found the prisoner in a room adjoining that in which I had been lying asleep, standing inside and against the door. I remarked to him, You have shot me. He made no answer to this, and on going downstairs, he followed me into the kitchen, there being no one else in the house at the time. When in the kitchen, I said to him, Oh, William, you wicked fellow, what did you wish to kill me for? He made answer, I did not mean to kill you. Let me get some water and wash you. Adding, as I was writing a letter downstairs, a feeling came across me, and someone said to me, Go and get the gun. You must shoot and kill the gardener. The prisoner afterwards said he did not remember anything after he got up to get the gun. Mr Patterson. Was the prisoner sober? The prosecutor. He was perfectly sober. I then went to the hall, and after an absence of seven or eight minutes... I returned to the kitchen and found the prisoner, apparently asleep, leaning on the table with his head resting on his right hand. On being spoken to, he did not answer, but appeared dull and stupid. Mr Patterson, had there been any quarrel between you? The prosecutor, there had never been any differences, the prisoner has been about a month in his present situation and formerly worked under me at Sir Joseph Hawley's for about two years. The prisoner dined with me yesterday and before going to lie down, I had remarked to him it was the happiest Sunday we had passed for some time. I had never noticed anything peculiar about the prisoner, but during the last few days, he had been absorbed in reading the newspapers about the war. We were always very good friends. Mr Arthur Beadles, surgeon of Park Road Terrace, Forest Hill, said about 20 of the shots had passed through the left shoulder, glancing off at the blade bone. He had no doubt but that had the different charges struck the prosecutor, he must have been killed. The wounds are not likely to prove fatal. The prosecutor is going on favourably. Sergeant Elstone, P Division, produced the gun and also the letter written by the prisoner to his grandmother in affectionate terms and which he was writing at the time of the prosecutor leaving him before lying down. The prosecutor, on being recalled, said one barrel of the gun had been left loaded but the prisoner had loaded the other barrel during the day saying it would be ready for the garden on the following morning. The prisoner, in answer to the charge, said he remembered nothing after getting up to get the gun. 
Mr. Patterson remanded the prisoner for a week. Tenth of September, eighteen seventy. Another singular confession of murder. A lad named Clement Brookfield was charged at Bow Street, on his own confession, with murdering some person unknown. Inspector Pinbay stated that on Sunday the prisoner came to King Street Police Station in company with a constable, and said he wished to give himself up on a charge of murder. He then made the following statement, which witness took down. I live with my sister at Vestry Road, Camberwell. On Saturday morning last, at about three o'clock, I was going over Westminster Bridge. When, in the centre, a woman asked me the way to the Elephant and Castle. I told her, and she then put her hand in my waistcoat pocket, as I thought with the intention of robbing me. I took a piece of iron from my pocket and struck her on the head. She fell down, and I took her up and lifted her over the parapet of the bridge into the river. The woman was about 16 years of age. I cannot tell how she was dressed. I am 19 and have for the last few years been in an industrial school at Maida Hill. I left three weeks ago. The statement was read over to the prisoner and he signed it in the presence of witness. The piece of iron was produced and appeared a very formidable weapon, having at one end a solid ball about two inches in diameter. The prisoner said he had nothing to say and Mr Flowers remanded him for inquiries. You've been listening to Bizarre to Brutal. I'm Mark Capel. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, climb into your handsome cab and head over to bizarretobrutal.com to find out more. See you next time. <laughs>